Okay, if you could all settle down. Oh, you've done that. All right, well done. Okay, um, my name's Michael. Uh, I get the privilege to host this. So if you've got any questions about what we're doing and how we're doing it, then please come and bounce me, catch me, rugby tackle me, and we'll see what we can work out. Great to see so many of you back from yesterday. That's always encouraging. Uh, you've obviously told your friends because we've got some more people joining us today. If you weren't here yesterday, you are you're just as welcome. In fact, more welcome. So we'll do some welcoming, catch up with that. Um, you will be able to catch in with what we're doing. So yesterday was good. But today we'll work as a standalone as well. And I'm sure Jez is just going to help you just get a little bit of a flavour of what we're doing. It was recorded, so if you're inspired retrospectively to go back and listen again, you'll be able to do that and catch up with the sort of real foundation with it. Okay? It's really informal. So the whole setting and the ambience of what we've got here enables us to be informal, have a bit more fun and what have you. So I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll be able to engage with it. And I'm just going to hand over to Jez and let him take you through the morning. All right. That's exactly what we want, more of that. So people, people shouting out and getting involved. It, de- it definitely is very very laid back, very informal. Honestly, if at any point you want to just put your hand up and say, uh, Jez, what does that mean if you're saying this, then jump in at any point and that's totally fine. My name is Jez. Thank you for turning up to the Creativity and Culture Life Zone. Today, we are exploring a topic that's got the potential to be a little bit on the controversial side. Ah... We're asking the question, essentially, as an artist, as somebody who wants to step out in creativity, how do I hold that tension between being God-glorifying and yet, at the same time, culturally relevant and accessible? So questions, for example, if you're an actor, let's say some of you are wanting to break into the acting career, or maybe some of you already have and you're doing really, really well already, questions like, am I allowed to swear? If a script comes to me and it says there's a swear word there, what do I do? Do I say, no, thank you, that's not for me because I'm a Christian? Will that limit how much success I have in the industry? Does that limit what God could do through me? And as we explore this topic, can I just ask that we're really sensitive and gracious with each other? Because I don't think it's going to be black and white for everybody. I think we're going to have our own issues of conscience. I think we're going to say, well, this is where I stand on it. If I was chatting to Hosea from the Old Testament and he said to me, God's told me to marry a prostitute, I think I probably would have said, I don't think he has, mate. I honestly don't think he has. I'm fairly sure reading the Bible that that's not what God's said. And yet clearly, joking aside, God had said that. God had said that. So we've just got to make sure we're really sensitive, really gracious. I think it's going to be really fascinating. Let's just quickly let you know what we've got coming up, because there's a lot of different things that are going to be happening. So let's see if we can keep you all together and make sure we all know where we're going. Um, Andy Kind is going to be coming up in just a moment. Andy Kind, the award-winning comedian, no less. Uh, and he's going he's to kick off this topic ultimately because A, he's a friend of mine. B, he's a great communicator. C, his jokes are better than mine. And D, most of the time. Uh, and D also, he, this is actually what he sort of does day to day. This question of what what can I do? What can't I do? If you're a comedian, it's obviously going to be something that comes up regularly. You know, am I allowed to swear in my jokes? Am I allowed to joke about Christianity? Can I joke at religion? Or is that a bit of a taboo? What is okay? And even comedy in its very nature kind of plays around a little bit with what is taboo. You know, so I think he'll be fantastic at doing that. Then we're going to break down into some, some networking groups. and We're going to explore some of the things that we've looked at. Then we're going to come back together again. And I'm going to finish off the talk. Then we're going to be having a conversation with the wonderful Catherine, who is a published novelist, okay? And she's got a really interesting story to share. What we're doing each session is having a very brief interview with somebody who has already taken their creative skills 
and started to run with it, started to make a difference. Because I think there's much we can learn from you guys out there who are already running with it and doing, it, doing incredibly well. And then we'll finish off with a bit more networking and building relationships. Does that all make sense? You're all sort of with me. Okay, cool. Let's, let's start off by praying then. Father God, thank you so much for all that you have done so far. Thank you for all you will continue to do. And we just ask, Spirit of God, that you'll be here in a very tangible, powerful way as we attempt to navigate through difficult waters, fairly controversial waters. We pray, God, that the gospel will remain foremost, that your name being glorified will remain foremost in our hearts and our minds. Uh, Help us to be gracious with each other and help us to come away challenged, provoked, uh, and and eager to grow, eager to take steps out, eager to be bold and courageous with our creative skills that you have generously and graciously given us. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. All right, let's give a massive round of applause to Andy. Well done, Jez. Well done, Jez. Great to be here at uh, Devoted. I love Christian festivals. Uh, (laughs) Christian festivals are the only place in 2016 where you can... Hear people called Hezekiah getting told off in public. It's uh, <laughs> Hezekiah! Your sun dried tomatoes on toast are going cold! So, we're talking about uh, God glorifying versus culturally relevant. Yesterday, we started off exploring uh, God's design for creativity and the fact that we're not just, as Christians, we're not just about getting people to become Christians, to meet Jesus. We are ultimately about, about that. But we're also on the way, on the journey to that, creating culture, shaping culture, helping culture to be God-glorifying and God-celebrating. And we looked at Exodus 35. We looked about the two characters, Bezalel and Ohalayeb. Those are two of the names you'll hear on site a lot today. Um, <laughs> Who were, they were the first two people that we read about in the Bible uh, who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And these people weren't worship leaders, they weren't preachers, they were craftsmen, they were artisans. Uh, they were filled with God's spirit of creativity and they were charged to build the tabernacle, which of course was the foreshadow of the church that we know now. And we talked about the four things, the four things, how your creativity has huge potential and it can do four particular things. It can, number one, it can provoke wonder. In your, in your friends, in your community. It can soothe heartache. It can confront justice. Are you ready to confront justice? Good. You look ready. And number four, it, it can point to Jesus. It can point to Christ. So one of the points is, um, and this is a vast subject. We're trying to condense this into, you know, one, a couple of little sessions. So there are lots of things that, that won't be said, but just because we're remitting them, that doesn't mean that we, that we disagree with them or that we don't think they're important. So, again, do feel free to raise your hand to ask questions because uh, there is loads to say and I suppose we want to tailor it to, to our individual needs here. Um, so, one of the big points to say is that our creative skills, our artistic abilities, whatever, whatever they are, are not just an additional extra to the life of the church. And I'll, I'll read a quote in a minute that, that speaks to that a little bit. But God has given all of us creative skills. And, and in the session yesterday, uh, in the interview, we talked about how when Christians say, when anyone says, I'm not creative, that, not only is that not true, because God is the creator who's created us to be creative, it's actually a curse that's been spoken over people by their parents or by their churches or by their, their teachers. We are all creative. We might not all be artists, but we are all creative in different ways. God has created us to be creative. He's given us creative skills and abilities, not just to shape his church, but to shape his culture. 
But that's actually quite a difficult thing to do, isn't it? How do we, how do, we do stuff that, that doesn't just affect the church but also affects the culture? The theme for today is attention. How do we as artists create art that is on the one hand cutting edge and culturally relevant whilst at the same time remaining God-glorifying? How do we create art that is designed not just for the church but for uh, everyday people or normals, as you might call them? How, how, do we, how do we create stuff that our non-Christian friends will find stirring and uplifting and beautiful and also engage them with, with Jesus and, and with their life? How do, we, how do we, as Christians, how do we engage people who are not Christians with Jesus using art and, and creativity? And I mean art in the broadest sense. We're not just talking about visual art here. We're talking about art in a really b- broad sense with a capital A. Um, so the reality is this. I'm going to read uh, a couple of quotes from uh, a magazine article, Christianity magazine, December issue, uh, somebody wrote uh, an article about, about the church and, uh, and its connection with the arts. I'm going to read two quotes. This is the first one. And this, I think, is, is the reality. And as Jess said earlier, we're allowed to disagree with this. It's not necessarily black or white. The reality is that the church doesn't support... I wrote this, by the way. I'm reading from it, but I, I was the one who wrote it. I'll say that now. So if I'm, I just don't want to look up and see anybody going, that's not very good, because it, it is. The reality is that the church doesn't support the arts anywhere near as much as it should, or as it thinks it does, or actually as much as it wants to. Of course, we pay lip service to the concept, complaining about how few positive Christian role models we see on the television and in the media. We'd love there to be more Christian screenwriters, playwrights and actors. But nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. Julie Andrews told us that in The Sound of Music, so it must be true. She's practically perfect in every way. If we in the church, if we in the church are not birthing and nurturing artists from within the church, where are they supposed to come from? Does a magic store drop them into the comedy store window or into the BBC? One problem, I think is that we see the arts as an evangelistic luxury. One problem is that we see the arts as an evangelistic luxury. I only wrote it once, but I'm saying it twice for impact. You see, this is how how we do it. I'll say it again because I've kind of lost my thread. One problem, I think, is that we see the arts as an evangelistic luxury. It's nice to put on a passion play at Easter using volunteers from the congregation or to stage a comedy night as something a bit different. But we don't really see the arts as missional a way of impacting society and changing lives. We never quite get around to believing that something doesn't need to be explicitly evangelistic to still be missional and have worth. I think that's the reality. We'll go back to the talk. Now, I've got another quote coming up from that same article later on because I am a big fan of myself. So as Jess was saying, what does, this, what does it mean for us as, as creatives? So we've got a couple of actors, Luke, and, and I don't know, I forgot your name. Yeah, and we've got a couple of actors there at that table. So if, if I'm an actor, or if, if you're an actor who wants to be culturally relevant, does that mean that you, you don't swear, that you don't do uh, nude scenes? I know, Luke, you were very keen on doing a lot of nude scenes in your acting. <laughs> and thank, thank you for the, uh, the portfolio photos that you sent. And I think you'd be great. I think you'd be great at that. Uh, but do our, do our convictions, do our Christian convictions prevent us from getting work? Do they stop us from applying for stuff? How does it work? Are we destined to be not very successful if we're already cutting ourselves off from things? Uh, if, I'm a, if I'm a painter who wants to be God-glorifying and yet credible, 
What does that mean? Does that mean I, I can't be too graphic in my artwork? Where, where's the line with that? As a, as a comedian, what does it mean? Jez mentioned it earlier. Am I allowed to swear? Am I allowed to talk about, about sex? From a personal point of view, I, I don't swear on stage, um, but I actually champion my own right to do so if I think that, it, if I think that it's uh, appropriate. And obviously, you've just got to be sensitive. There is, that, there is that boundary, you know, what is good to do, what is right and true, but also, are you being sensitive, um, are you being sensitive to the crowd? So if I swore now, just in this session, it wouldn't be appropriate because actually we've got several kids here. If none of the kids were here, then actually... It might, be, it might be okay, it's less gratuitous. And this is the thing for me, as a comedian, I, my rule is not what are the conservative evangelicals going to get annoyed about, but what is gratuitous? Gratuitous means what, you know, what exceeds its, its, its context, in a sense. So for me, I don't want to do anything gratuitous. And for most of my gigs, all of them really, that means that I don't swear. But it doesn't mean that I can't talk about sex. It doesn't mean that I can't talk about drugs or pornography. What it does mean is that the way I talk about it will be different to the other people who approach it. You know, all, thi all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. And, uh, you know, we're free as artists. We are free. We have the greatest freedom because we know Jesus. So we mustn't be limited uh, by our freedom. So for me, it's simply about that. What is, what is gratuitous? And another factor that I always use, and I think this is important as well, um, are we punching up or are we punching down? Do you, know what, do you know what I mean by that? Are we punching up? Are we speaking truth to power? That's punching up. Are we speaking truth to power? Or are we, are we kind of castigating uh, the peripheral people of society? So a lot of people on the comedy circuit, a lot of comedians will uh, have a go at religion, they'll have a go at Christianity, and they think, what they think they're doing is they think they're speaking truth to power, but they think they're speaking truth to the institution. But actually, they're not. You know, nobody here would really, well, perhaps, but I wouldn't, think of Britain as a Christian nation. I would say that we're a secular nation. I don't think a nation can be Christian. Only a person can be Christian. And so when people are having to go at Christianity, they're not really speaking truth to power. They're having to go at a minority. You know, Christians in the UK, we are a minority group these days. And so when someone's having to go at Christianity and Christians, they're having to go at the volunteers who volunteer at food banks. They're having to go at CAP, who help people out of, out of debt. And so it, it's actually punching down when they think it's punching up. But for me, I'm allowed to punch up. I'm not allowed to punch down. And it's always that discernment that helps you. Kind of, it's that prayerful discernment, what, what is right to do. Um, now, as Jess said, this isn't black or white. It's not black and white. But that's sort of the problem because Christendom, you know, the Enlightenment and Christendom in tandem, Christianity as an institution, has made things very black or white. What Christendom has left us with, what the history of Britain as a Christian nation has left us with, is the legacy of good behaviour and the need for that. So, you know, if you go into it, and you still see, if you go into a sort of peripheral country, Anglican churches or Baptist churches, you'll still see this in the older members of the congregation. They're all about good behaviour. We've got to behave well, otherwise God will be angry with us. It's all about behaviour. But actually, that's not the gospel, is it? That's not the good news. What, the, what Christendom has done, yes, it's given us this need for good behaviour, but what it has removed, what it has robbed us of and stripped us of is the reality that God first loved us, that we are loved and that while we were still far off, God met us in his son and brought us home. And so that's what we're left with. And this is why I think it's become very binary. We have this distance between creativity and behaviour. And I think, that's to do, I think that's to do with the Enlightenment. So it's not black or white. It's another quote. It's from that really good article I was just reading from. Here we go. 
Here's the rub. Churches don't champion the arts because art isn't worried about offending and Christians take offence too easily. Some of you have just taken offence at hearing that. Too often, we judge the moral worth of something before we judge its creative's worth, and that's wrong. If it offends us, it can't be any good. And so any artistic colour gets drained away into a black and white legalism. I'll read that again for my benefit. Too often, we judge the creative worth of something after we judge its moral worth. If it offends us, it can't be any good, and so any artistic colour gets drained away into a black and white legalism. We don't want creative pioneers. We say we do, but we don't. Not really. Because they take us into territory with which we aren't familiar or comfortable. Really, what we want in the evangelical world is people to guard the picket line of acceptability. We say we don't, but we do. But if we don't champion the place of the arts within the body of Christ, if we don't encourage young Christians to pursue the calling God has put on their hearts, if we don't train up our creative troops to stand and fight, then why on earth would we... Would anybody expect to see the church being anything other than routed in the world of entertainment? Ironically, the practice of training up Christians to impact the arts is not in itself an art, but an exact science. Fantastic. Fantastic work. <laughs> really good. Really strong. I've got a number of complaints about that, uh, ironically. Uh, now, of course, we're all allowed to agree with this. And as Jess said, in the little groups that we're going to split into uh, now... You don't have to respect and champion and affirm somebody who disagrees with you. You don't have to respect their opinion, but you do have to respect the person. You have to honour the person. You know, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and, and respect. So it's okay for us to disagree. It's okay for us to think that the other person is wrong, but we have to treat the other person with, with honour and respect. Uh, we've got a quote from uh, Abraham Kuyper, neo-Calvinist. There he is. What a party animal. Look at him. Abe, you want to come around and play Twister? <laughs> no, thank you. It's my best Dutch accent. As image bearer of God, man possesses the possibility to both create something beautiful and to delight in it. And it's our privilege as, be as bearers of his image to have a perception of this beautiful world, artistically to reproduce and humanly to enjoy it. We are made to employ God's creativity and enjoy God's creativity. It's okay to enjoy things in life. It's okay to enjoy beautiful pieces of art, whether they're Christian or not. It's okay to enjoy that. It's okay to affirm the beauty, to affirm the truth where we, where we see it. In fact, it's completely godly to enjoy God's various gifts of creativity because God enjoys it. Remember the creation story. God saw what he had made and he called it... Good. No. Inappropriate. Do you not remember? He called it good, of course. Theologians will call this God's common grace. So there's saving grace, there's common grace. It's not quite the same as God's saving grace. Common grace is just God's ludicrous kindness extended to all humanity. Uh, his kindness sustains us despite our rebellion and depravity. Have you got that? You have heard it said. Next one. No. Is, have we got this on a slide? want this one, Jess. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbour. You wrote this. Did you not? Okay, well, I'll just read it. It's in the Bible. Look, you've probably got Bibles. You've heard, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. There we go. 
He makes his sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. As another aside, uh, in 12 years of being a professional comedian, I have never had a single complaint from a non-Christian doing church gigs or secular gigs. I've only, I've only had a handful of complaints after gigs anyway, but they've all, they've all been from Christians. One was from a Jewish lady, actually, but again, theists. Never one complaint about a church gig. Uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of church gigs I've done, no, no non-Christian has ever complained. Maybe they're just so angry they've gone already. <laughs> That's probably what it was. Uh, so we've got some more. Uh, some more. Here we go. Uh, it's from uh, James. Do not, be bece- do not be deceived, my beloved brother. brother sorry. I'm still thinking about that laugh I got. <laughs> do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's great love, my friends, is obviously demonstrated best on the cross, but it's not just there where we see his love. We've got a Martin Luther quote coming up. Here he is, another absolute maniac. (laughs) Martin, we're all going to do the Macarena. God writes the gospel, not in the Bible alone, but on trees and flowers and clouds and stars. It's a nice quote. He should have told his face, shouldn't he, really? I mean, that's... It's more exciting than that, Martin. Here's Gandhi, who unfortunately looks happier. I mean, what does that say? When I admire the wonder of a sunset or the beauty of the noon, the moon, noon's good as well, my soul expands in worship of the creator. So wonder is the basis of worship. Thomas Carlyle said that. Yeah, obviously, as we're hearing this, Straight away, we're thinking, well, it's, it's, it's maybe not as simple as that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to split up into little groups now, maybe just in the tables you are with or people you haven't met before. Just split up into little groups. And so a couple of questions. First of all, from what you've heard so far, do you agree with that? Do you agree with this idea of, of creativity, with that, that mandate that God's given us? Do you agree with what we're talking about in terms of uh, judging something creativ- creatively uh, before you judge it morally? Um, and if not... So question one, do you agree with what you've heard so far? And if not, and probably most of you will say yes and no, well then what else is there? What else is there to take into consideration? So is what we've said so far true? What else is there to take into consideration? Things like immorality, idolatry, that's what Jesus is going to be talking about later. So just in little groups, just have a little brainstorm about what you've heard so far. Share any stories, any thoughts, and then Jess will take on the uh, second half of the talk. Go. We'll probably, give about f- we'll probably give about five or seven minutes to this. Make sure you're including everybody and everyone gets involved in this. That would be great. Fantastic. Okay, guys. We're just going to come back together again, if that's all right. I'll just give you a couple of minutes to finish off your discussions. So we'll, we'll come back and do a little bit more discussions uh, a little bit later on. I, I found that really engaging. I mean, I, I've helped to write some of that, but we worked together. But, <laughs> but um, I, I, think it's, I think it's a really fascinating topic. I think it's really fascinating to explore it. One of the things that Andy was uh, alluding to there, which, again, is really interesting, especially given how we can talk about creativity and art, but he said, it's, actually, it's the person that's the Christian, and yet we often say things like Christian music uh, or Christian films. 
Isn't that interesting? A music can't be saved, you know. A song doesn't need redemption in that sense. You're not going to get to heaven and see, you know, Andy and Michael and other friends and, oh, look, there's a song, Live and Let Die, just walking in through the gates of heaven. It's, that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> it's certainly not that song. It's a great song. It's one of my favorites. Uh, but it's worth just starting to unpick. I work in Christian music. I work for UCB. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a conversation I'm often sort of having uh, with friends and with myself. What do I, what do I think about this? Um, do I believe that God only speaks through Christian music? Uh, if I do, doesn't that limit who God is and what he can do? It's fascinating. However, as we're exploring, it can be quite tricky. The waters we have to navigate can be quite tumultuous. That's a good word, isn't it? Tumultuous. Uh, so what we've decided to do really was, I guess, identify two obvious pitfalls as we navigate these waters. One is immorality and one is idolatry. And I think as we're exploring this, and it's good that we are recognizing that it's not black and white, but at the same time, there are fundamentals for us to adhere to as we're trying to navigate those waters, if that makes sense. So, immorality is the first one. What we're identifying here today is that God has given us many good things to enjoy, hasn't he? Yes, we agree with that. But obviously, there are things out there that wouldn't be helpful for us, that aren't good for us. Just because it's fun doesn't always mean it's good for us. I imagine getting drunk is quite fun to some extent. But also, it's very bad for me. It's not, it's not a great way to be living. It's not a great way for me to be looking after myself. Living a reckless life, much like the prodigal son, I suppose, could be considered fun. That's why sin can be so engaging and tempting, because it's not boring, is it? It's fun. That's why we go and chase after it. But it's not good for us. So how do we then navigate those waters? I think one thing that's tremendously helpful is a passage in Philippians 4 where Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Notice that he doesn't say, whatever is Christian. Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Which means it's possible, therefore, to listen to music made by non-Christians or to look at paint and art and uh, paintwork painted by non-Christians. We can watch films that have been directed by Spielberg or Christopher Nolan or Ridley Scott. We can enjoy God's common grace demonstrated by those who've yet to taste his saving grace. Isn't that amazing? If it's true, if it's honorable, if it's just, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's commendable, worthy of praise, God says it's good for us to enjoy. God says it's good for us to enjoy. I remember the first time I grabbed hold of that. I think I was driving home from a New Day event many years ago. Um, or it could have been at one of the Brighton Leaders Conference many years ago. I was so inspired, I whacked on a Foo Fighters album in the car. Uh, and just delighted in what I considered to be great music. And feeling free, because we are free to do that. Another pitfall that we have to be aware of is idolatry. Even good things can become God things in our lives if we're not careful. And that can bring us to a place of ruin. How do we go about enjoying God's common grace, enjoying his gifts, without becoming guilty of idolatry, without putting them up there and starting to, to worship them in an unhealthy way? Because it's easily done, isn't it? Easily done. For me, music can be, can be a big one. You know, I, love, I love music. If I'm not careful, it becomes a bit too high in my life. So how do we avoid that? Well, again, the Bible's very helpful. Quote of the day, the Bible is very helpful. 
1 Timothy 4, verses 4 to 5. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. I think thanksgiving is a key issue. So let me try and put this practically. I can enjoy a beautiful slice of steak, and then I worship God. Then I thank God. I can watch a brilliant goal scored from the 10-yard box. (laughs) That was a bit of an in-joke from yesterday. Uh, And then I can thank God and worship him. I think the issue is we enjoy it, and then we follow that through to the next logical place, which is worship and thanksgiving to God. Do you know what's interesting? How often you'll come across a song that says, Jesus, you are my only praise, or something like that. Which doesn't make complete sense, seeing as Paul in Philippians says, whatsoever is worthy of praise. It kind of hints that there are things in the world, in life, that God has made that is worthy of our praise. The world rings with praise, says C.S. Lewis. You see a great goal, you watch somebody with a brilliant guitar riff as their fingers fondle the fretboard, a bit of alliteration for you, and you speak out praise. You go, wow, that was amazing. Or when you see your beautiful wife or your beautiful children, you go, guys, you look incredible. Babe, you look amazing. We speak out praise, and that's not a bad thing. What ought to happen is God is our highest praise. We enjoy those things, and we follow to the next step, and we say, thank you, God, for all you've made. Thank you, God, for all you have created. So those are, the way, those are two pitfalls. There may, there may be more, but those pitfalls, avoiding those pitfalls, I think helps give us margins to our blank canvas, helps provide a key signature to our music, so that we avoid the bum notes in life and the wrong chords. Helps explain the genre of our lives so we adhere to the right codes and conventions to make sure that the movie that is the story of our lives is a glorious one with the best kind of narrative. The art that we create must be true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Those are the things that we strive for. I guess it gets interesting when we figure out how we define those adjectives. And that's maybe where it becomes a little bit unclear, and that's where we work on issues of conscience. But our art is a signpost to something far more glorious, isn't it? The greatest artist of all time. The artist who doesn't just bend words, but bends galaxies. He doesn't just build brick structures, but builds planets and stars. He doesn't just put stunning colors into clothing, but stunning colors into flowers and sunsets. Who doesn't just paint glorious landscapes, but creates the very idea of color in the first place. I mean, get your head around that. God created color. All of our creativity is an overflow of his. What we're going to do now is we're going to welcome to the stage Catherine. If Catherine can come up, that'd be amazing. Let's give a a massive round of applause to Catherine. (laughs) Catherine is a published novelist. And she is a lovely lady, and she's got a great story to share as well. So we're going to spend a bit of time chatting to her. And then what we'll do is we'll break down into groups one final time uh, and continue to explore this very interesting topic. Uh, We've got one microphone, I think, Catherine. Shall I hold those for you? Shall I hold that book for you? Uh, So you have a hand to hold the microphone with. Okay, that's fine. I will hold the microphone for you. Um, Okay, great. So first of all, for those of us who might not be that familiar with you, who are you? Which church do you belong to? uh, And how long have you been doing what you're doing? Uh, My name's Catherine Blessan, and I'm a part of City Church Sheffield. My two, my two fans. So three of you here today. Well done. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, Well, I have several hats. I'm a mother and 
um, a wife to the lovely Blessan. Yes, I do have the same surname. My surname is his first name. Talk to me afterwards about why. Um, and, but the reason I'm here today is because I'm the author of Lydia's song. Uh, Lydia's song, okay. Hang on, let's just do that again because that was rubbish. Woo! <laughs> yeah, Lydia's song is a novel, uh, a Christian novel, yes. Um, but I didn't write it. I didn't actually, when I wrote it, I was like, oh, I'd really like to get, try to get it out there into the marketplace a bit more widely. But as it happened, it managed to get published by a Christian publisher, Instant Apostle. And it's all about child sex trafficking in Cambodia um, and the relationship between two women. Well, one of them's a girl at the start of the story, um, and that's Song. And she's the one that gets sold into sex slavery. And then the other, the other woman is Lydia, and she is somebody who becomes a, a sort of a foster mother to Song uh, while she's living in Cambodia as, a, as an expat English teacher. And so it's all about the relationship between those two women and the, and the story that kind of evolves around them. Um, and obviously it's, it's quite a challenging subject, sex trafficking. So if you're interested in buying this book, by the way, it's in the bookshop over there and there's about 10 copies of it. So if you want to make sure you get a copy, then... <laughs> Get hold of it quickly. So, would you be able to? I'll, I'll hold it up for you now, and I'll, I'll keep holding it up with this. All right, okay, you carry on holding it. I just want to hold it. That's all it is. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's fine. Um, if you could describe briefly, I guess, because what 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 might be interesting is I wonder how many of us here are wanting to step into being an author and writing novels and, and writing in, in that regard. So, could you describe for us briefly the early part of your journey? when you first started to get those feelings, actually, I think I want to write. I think I'd love to write a novel. Was it the idea of novel writing that came first, or was it specifically the topic? And then you thought, I'm so passionate about the issue of child sex trafficking that I want to write about it. Yeah, well, in terms of writing itself, I, when I was five years old, five or six years old, I really wanted to be a writer at that point. Um, but lots of other things came, came along in between, and I did a... Um, I did a couple of English degrees, and I worked in publishing for a while, and then I became an English teacher. And actually, honestly, the thing that most helped me with my writing was being an English teacher, ironically. I mean, when I was at school myself, I was at school during, during the 80s, and I don't think that teaching of English was that good at that point, to be honest. It was all about kind of free flow of ideas, and there was very little taught in terms of structure and how to write a really good piece of writing. So I didn't, don't think I had the best foundations, um, although I read a lot, so I was at a benefit in that sense. I read a lot of fiction. Um, in terms of my actual calling, when it came to writing Lydia's song, um, that happened around 2006. I was working out in Cambodia myself as a volunteer English teacher, um, and I was working up in one of the regional provinces called Ratanakiri province. Um, and I was just chilling out on a hammock in the house that I was staying at. Uh, there was a basically a Swedish lady and her Khmer husband, um, whose house I was living in at the time. And there was a servant who was sweeping underneath me. Um, and I was really embarrassed. I was feeling really kind of awkward about this servant sweeping underneath me. Anyway, while I was there, I just, all of a sudden, the whole idea came as a flash into my head for Lydia's song. Um, I mean, I had always had a heart, well, from basically kind of my early 20s or so, I'd had a heart for injustice and... Uh, been involved in different ways in sort of issues of injustice. Um, 
And then when I was in my mid-twenties, God spoke to me about kind of the different threads of my life coming together. Um, and it was only after I started writing Lydia's song that I realized that, yes, this was one of the ways in which those threads were coming together. So there's sort of my heart for injustice, but this kind of story that God had placed on my heart, which was to do with issues of injustice. Um, so the actual novel writing took a long time. It took eight years because there was lots of other things going on in between, such as getting married and having babies and working as a teacher. Um, they do get in the way a little bit. But <laughs> because the story itself was so strong in my mind, because I, and in that sense, I, I knew that God had sort of placed it upon me. Um, I think that was the thing that kept me going through the, through the years. Yeah. Um, so yesterday we were talking about God's design for uh, creativity. And four of the things that we were identifying that creativity does and can achieve is, number one, it provokes wonder. Uh, another thing was soothe heartache. It points to Christ. But one thing that is really relevant to, to what you're doing, I guess, is that it can challenge injustice. Um, do you think that that's part of what you're doing? Has there been stories that have come out as a result where you've started to see, I guess, real-life situations being affected by what you've written? I think it's quite difficult for me to quantify in, in terms of, because I'd have to approach every reader in one sense, but in another sense, I've heard from two of my friends who spoke to me after reading the book. One of them said to me that after reading it, she felt really stirred about tra the issue of trafficking, um, and it hadn't, she hadn't really been that aware of it beforehand. And then another friend said to me that after reading the book, she wanted to go out and work for a charity like Safe Hands. Now, Safe Hands is... Um, an organization in my book, uh, which is very similar to organizations such as Hope for Justice or Hagar in, in Cambodia, where it's all about rehabilitating um, young people when they've come out of sex trafficking or who've been rescued out of sex trafficking. So to hear her say that she would love to go out and work for this, an organization like that was really, really stirring. But I mean, in terms of the bigger picture, I think probably my novel is just a part of a jigsaw rather than the whole answer. So um, one of the books that really stirred me in my own writing was a book that I read by a man called Gary Hogan, um, who's the president of International Justice Mini Ministry. And it was called Terrify No More, and it was all about a group of young girls who'd been rescued out of, uh, I mean, really young girls, five-year-old children who'd been rescued out of um, prostitution in, in Cambodia and it was a really powerful story. And actually, um, some of the things that happened within the story or the description of what it was like in prostitution informed my own writing. Um, and as a result of the work that International Justice Mission are doing, so Gary Hogan, International Justice Mission, um, some of the, the situation of sex trafficking in Cambodia has actually changed. Um, so I heard recently that the numbers of incidences of trafficking or child trafficking within Cambodia had reduced as a work of, as a result of the work that International Justice Mission had been doing and other organisations. So my, my book is just a small part of that jigsaw rather than the whole thing. Um, so obviously we're talking today about that tension between remaining God-glorifying and also being culturally relevant. And I suppose your, a book like yours is quite hard-hitting um, how was that 
writing that? Were there moments in the story, in the narrative, where you started to go in one direction and you were thinking to yourself, actually, is it all right for me to write in detail about that? Does that cross a boundary? How, do you, how did you navigate that tension? Yeah, well, in terms of the writing process itself, I tried to make sure that my writing was the best quality writing that I, that I could. Um, and because I think that in itself is God-glorifying God because it's honouring the creativity that God has given me. Um, but I can look back at it now and say, oh, I wish I'd changed that, I wish I'd changed that. So there's always a process of, Im of improvement and um, stretching yourself and growing. Um, as far as the sort of navigating the, the challenges of writing about basically child sex trafficking and prostitution... Um, in some ways, the bits that were the most dramatic and that were the most horrifying to write were the easiest to write uh, because, the, because the dramatic force of the story was moving forward most at that point in time. Um, but when I was writing, for example, the, the scene when Song gets raped for the first time, I think the way, that I, the way that I got around kind of making that graphic in any way was simply through thinking, well, if a 10-year-old child or an 11-year-old child found herself in that situation, she might well kind of distance herself from it psychologically um, and, and sort of dream about or imagine something completely different. Not all, not all children would, but this is what my child did anyway. Song, she sort of imagined it or she kind of... She was set apart from the situation in some way psychologically. So there was a sort of dreamlike effect um, to the book at that point. So the hard reality of what happened was, was there, but at the same time, you, you weren't presented with the hard reality in a graphic way, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of different readerships and how people see things, I found that there's a little bit of a difference between the US and the UK markets and the, and the readership. So I think the Christian readership of fiction, uh, Christian fiction anyway, is a lot less than it is in the US. So I was... I tried to approach a few Christian fiction bloggers in the US because I thought, oh, I'll be able to get my fiction out there a, a little bit more. And um, one of the fiction bloggers, the first question that she asked me when I sent her the information was, um, is there any explicit sex or swearing in it? It was the first question that she asked me. And she explained that over there, sort of evangelical Christians are they will be offended by that sort of thing and they'll, they're likely to put it down. Um, whereas, from my point of view, I, I think sex or, or ungodly sex anyway or swearing, that's just, it's just one sin. Um, why should that be any worse than pride or um, materialism or anything else? Um, and the Bible is full of all those things anyway. Well, at least it's full of stories of men and women who do those things. Um, so that's how how I understood it. And my story itself includes elements that are redemptive. So it includes forgiveness, it includes healing, it includes a conversion. And I didn't, I didn't deliberately try and include those things in my story in order to fit it into some sort of mold. I, those elements just kind of came out of who I am, out of the wellspring of who I am as a, as a believer in Christ. So I think you can't but do that when you're a, when you're a Christian. I just want to commend you, really, for, for being brave enough to tackle a topic like that. And, you know, I hope that it continues and, and you're able to write more books. But as we, as we finish, what, what piece of advice, what one bit of advice would you give to somebody else 
who might want to step into writing and, and authoring? Uh, read lots. Because I think reading lots gives you an idea of what is important in, and good in writing, whether it's Christian writers or non-Christian writers. Um, also, if you want to go into writing as well, really learn your craft in whatever way you can. Um, go on writing courses, and you can come to one this afternoon if you like, which I'm leading at the Hub. Um, and read magazines like Writing Magazine. Practice, 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 basically. There are other bits of advice. But Let's give a round of applause for Catherine. Um, what time in the Hub is the, the thing? The workshop is taking place at 3 o'clock today and 2 o'clock tomorrow. Excellent stuff, thank you. One more round of applause for Catherine. Great stuff. I do encourage you, go and have a look at that book. It's in the hub. It's uh, Lydia's Song. Is that right? Yes. Would have been awkward if I got that wrong. Uh, Lyd Lydia's Song. Uh, thank you, Catherine, very much for spending time with us. We're going to break down into uh, a few more groups as we finish. Now, what we did yesterday which I think was helpful, was we broke down into different types of category of creativity. So, for example, Michael, could I borrow you again? We've got entertainment and performance. In there, I've put acting, comedy, dancing, poetry, gigging, singing, spoken word, street art, street performance, etc., etc. Anything that you would fit into, into there. If, it, if that strikes a chord of what you're interested in, if you could go towards that table. We're going to put them in the four corners of the room, so if we could put that over there, that would be amazing. If you are writing, interested in writing like Catherine is, articles, books, blogs, cartoons, novels, comic books, films, magazines, screenplay, script writing, songs, etc. If you want to head towards there, um, if you could put that over there, in that corner over there for me, Michael, that would be amazing. Visual art, so architecture, Crochet, decorating, drawing, embroidery, fashion, graphic design, landscape, gardening, painting, photography, sand art, shadow puppets, anything like that. I probably have missed a few things out. Please forgive me if I haven't. It's something that you are burningly passionate about. If we could go into that corner over there. And finally, food and drink, because that's important. Baking, beer brewing, cake decorating, cocktail making, coffee roasting, cooking, spirit distilling, wine making. We'll pop that there. And if we could have the questions on the screen, Chris. We're just going to basically uh, look at these questions. What would be a typical example of this tension that we've explored in your creative context? How does it affect you? Do you have any good stories of how your creativity has resulted in gospel impact? Any lessons learned? Don't be scared to share bad stories. Sometimes it doesn't quite go as planned, and that's okay. It's, it's, sometimes it can be quite encouraging if you're struggling to hear somebody else is struggling too. That's all right as well. How do you plan to become more culturally relevant within your creativity? Are you accountable to anyone in your church? Feel free to tackle one or more of those questions. And if we get some time, how are we doing for time incidentally? Because we're finishing at 12.45, is that right? 20 minutes, we've got 20 minutes. It would be really good to pray for each other, wouldn't it? Yeah? Good. All right. We believe that prayer makes a difference, right? I mean, it's not just me that believes that. Okay, good. Phew! That's a whole different seminar and I'm not prepared for that one. Um, let's, let's pray for each other. Let's encourage each other. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know where you're at with your creative journey. It might be you've hit a, a block. It might be you're really struggling. It would be brilliant, wouldn't it, to be able to come away from today feeling super encouraged and moved forward in this adventure. So if there's a, if there's a chance to pray, can I encourage you to do that? Right, for the last few moments then, if we just stand to our feet, if we can move to one of the four tables...
If you'd like to break down maybe into groups of two or three, that would be marvellous. And we're going to play some lovely music for you too. Okay, guys, just to give you the heads up, we're sort of coming to the end of today's Life Zone session. Thank you so much for getting involved. It's been flipping amazing listening to your conversations. Just as I've been moving around, hearing all the individual creative contexts and journeys that you're going on and how you're navigating through this tension, uh, it's been really, really fascinating. And I just want to say thank you for, for all that you're doing in terms of pioneering creativity and getting out there and making a difference. And I'm sure we're all at different stages and I'm sure that as individuals we think to ourselves, yeah, that was a good day, that was a bad day. But I'm just amazed at what God is doing in your lives. It's just wonderful. Thank you for being here. Um, two quick things to say. Well, three quick things. Tomorrow, what we're doing is we're looking a bit more practically and we're asking the question, what do we do next? Where do we go? How do we move from here as devoted into day-to-day -day life? Are there things that we could be looking at and sharpening? Uh, hopefully, it will be more not just us from the front saying, this is what you should do. It would be more communal, more of a community saying, well, this is what I found helpful. This is what I found helpful. Uh, so tell your friends if you're keen. Come along. It'd be great. Another quick two things. Andy Kind is going to be doing comedy here, 10 o'clock tonight. It's going to be amazing. He was here last year. I don't know if you got to see it, but one of my friends was saying a moment ago, I hadn't laughed so hard in such a long time. It really is amazing. Um, he's very, very good at what he does, and he hasn't paid me to say that. The other thing, just to finish, we're hoping to keep in touch. So what we're going to be doing is setting up a Facebook group or an email uh, group as well, however that works. I'm not very technical. If you're technical, come and speak to me and you can help me do it. Um, but we're basically going to be doing that. If you're interested in getting involved, we can share articles, we can share events, share stories, share ideas. Just continue to encourage each other. Then if you could come and pop your details down here, what I'm asking for basically is name the context of creativity that you're interested, be it interior design or cake decorating or whatever, which church and city you're part of, and then just an email address uh, so I can get in touch with you, and then we'll get that started as soon as possible. We'll also make sure that all of the talks from this Life Zone are made available on the Facebook page uh, and things like that so we can keep clued in. Uh, thank you very much for coming, and hopefully see some of you tomorrow. Oh, there's a question. Check your wrists, everybody. Oh, there we go. Sorted. <laughs> Problem solving, that's what, that's what happens here. Okay, great. Thank you very much for coming, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Hopefully it won't rain too much.